Thank you for listening to audio content from South Cities Church in Lakeville, Minnesota. For more information or resources, visit us online at southcities.church. So Lord, as I uh, attempt to share this story and to preach it, would you be with me guiding your uh, servant this morning by your Holy Spirit? God, I want to be faithful. So would you open your word now to us and meet us in it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome. Uh, Dave is on vacation right now with his family in Florida, probably on the beach as we speak. But I I have to say, he picked a really unfortunate week in the story of Joseph to be gone. Because this story uh, today in our text from Genesis 32 and 33 is simply amazing. It's the culmination of God's faithfulness in keeping his promises to Jacob. It all comes to a head today. So this is it. It all comes to a head with Jacob's relationship with God. We're going to see today that Jacob finally comes to a place where he can't keep trying to do things in his own strength. He comes to the end of himself. He turns to God and finally, finally, God becomes not just the God of Abraham and Isaac, but the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So remember what the name of Jacob means. Remember what his name means. He came uh, out of his mother's womb, clutching the heel of his brother Esau, and he meant, uh, he's lived up to that name his whole life. It means heel clutcher or the one who cheats his entire life. Jacob has lived up to that name by scheming and manipulating and taking matters into his own hands um, to achieve his own ends. But today, he finally gets to a place of, I can't do it anymore. I can't can't keep scheming and striving to make things work. He finally gets to a place of dependence on God. And maybe that, that feeling of, I can't do it anymore, is familiar to you. Kids, have you, ever, have you ever tried to do something all by yourself in your own strength that you shouldn't really be doing by yourself in your own strength, right? But you insist, I'll do it myself. Yeah, I remember one time when I was 11 or 12 years old, and my sister was about four or five. She's seven years younger than me. And we were walking into the grocery store with my mom. And if you knew my sister back then, you would know that she is probably the most stubborn, self-willed child ever to walk the face of this earth. I'm not exaggerating. And so we're walking away from the car towards the store, and my mom says, Brittany, hold my hand. And my sister looks right at my mom and says, no, I'll hold my own hand. And then walks into the store holding her own hand. That has been Jacob in his life up to this point. God has loved him and called him, not because he was older or stronger or wiser than his brother, but simply because he wanted to. And God has been so kind and faithful to Jacob in spite of his striving and scheming. And all the while, Jacob has been saying, I'll hold my own hand, thank you very much. I'll make my own plans. I'll use my, my own strength. I'll, I'll have my own contingencies just in case things don't work out, just in case. And today, he ceases his striving and strives with God instead. 
He doesn't strive in his own strength anymore, but he turns and strives with God and possesses God. God becomes Jacob's God, and God proves that he's been with Jacob all along, keeping his promises, sustaining him, getting him home. So let's see it. Point number one, Jacob is assured of the presence of God. So remember last week, Jacob has just been delivered from Laban and kept his promise to Jacob yet again. (laughs) And so Laban departs and Jacob moves on towards home. He's marching back towards the promised land, towards home. And in the first thing that we see in verses one and two is that Jacob meets these angels. So that should immediately set off bells in our heads. Jacob has seen angels before. So remember back in chapter 28, Jacob sets off to go away from the promised land. He's in Canaan, the land of his father Isaac, and he leaves the promised land in search of a wife. And as he leaves Canaan, he makes camp, and as he's sleeping, he sees this vision of this stairway to heaven, and what does he see on those stairs? He sees angels ascending and descending to and from heaven, going up and down. So this is the gateway to heaven, and it's opened with access to God's presence with the angels going up and down, representing God's abiding presence with his people coming down from heaven to be with his people here on earth. So remember, what's been the dominant theme that Dave has just been hammering into us week after week after week in Genesis? It's been God's people in God's place, enjoying God's presence. So those three things, this this covenant triangle, God's people dwelling in God's place, enjoying God's presence. That's been the promise ever since the garden And that's been the goal that we've been trying to get back to. And now he's heading back to the promised land, heading home again, and he meets the angels again. And he recognizes the meaning of God's presence with him, saying, this is the camp of God. And he names the place Mahanium, which means two camps, his own camp and God's camp. In other words, by bookending Jacob's journey away from home and then back to home with these encounters with these angels, God is showing that even in the wandering, even in the journey, his presence has always been with Jacob. He's been with him. He has not left him alone. He's been there leading him through the wilderness, through, through all the trials that he even, he's encountered. And there's been many trials through all of his relationship with Laban and all of his trickery and all those things through the wilderness, through the trials, even through his own failings and sinfulness. And he's kept his promise to bring him back home. God has been with Jacob the whole time. This quote from uh, Kenneth Matthews' commentary on Genesis is so good. Speaking of Jacob, he says, although outside the land of promise, he was not outside the hand of promise. I just love that. (laughs) Although outside the land of promise, he was not outside the hand of promise. God was there, keeping him and sustaining him the whole time, protecting him, and again and again, he was proving himself faithful to his promises. That's who God was for Jacob, and that's who he is now. 
you remember what Jesus says about Jacob's dream of the stairway to heaven in John chapter 1, verses 51? Daniel mentioned this when he was preaching. Jesus is talking with Nathaniel and he says, you will see heaven open up and angels ascending and descending on, on what? On, on stairs? On the son of man. Jesus is the stairs. Jesus is our uninhibited access to God and his presence. Through union with Christ, his spirit abides within one of, uh, each one of us so that we have his presence with us all the time, 24-7, sustaining us, keeping us through the ups and downs and trials and wandering, wandering through the wilderness. God is with us. Through Christ. That's what his name means, Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. He came to be with us on earth, and he's with us even now. So that's why we sang last week, we ended the service singing, never once did we ever walk alone. Never once did you leave us on your own. You are faithful, God. You are faithful. He's been with us, and he was with Jacob that whole journey. And that's especially important for Jacob right now at this very moment because of what's coming next. He's on the doorstep of home. He's almost there, right? Heading back towards Canaan, almost there. But he has to go through one last obstacle. <laughs> He's approaching the land of Seir, the country of Edom, which is the land of his brother Esau, who is coming to meet him with 400 armed men. So that leads us to point number two. Jacob turns from himself to God. So Jacob sends his, his messengers ahead of him to meet Esau. They return with this news that Esau is indeed coming to meet him and he's got a small army with him. And he's afraid. It seems like Esau remembers the way that Jacob tricked him and effectively stole his birthright and his blessing and hasn't forgiven him yet. So what does Jacob do? Well, in verse 7 and 8, we see that Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and camels into two camps. And here was his thinking. If Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. So this is just classic Jacob, right? He's doing his thing again. He's afraid. He turns to his own schemes. He hedges his bets, thinking, well, if he takes this much, maybe I can keep this much. You know, he's, he's just doing this in his own strength. But even in the midst of making these plans and dividing up his camp and doing his thing, which is further detailed in verses 13 to 21 about what he does, he knows that it's not going to be enough. Jacob knows. He's come to the end of himself. He's tried his best in his own strength, his scheming, and he thinks this isn't really going to work. I think what we've seen over the past few chapters, which has covered roughly 30 years of Jacob's life since he's left home, that's been a long time. What I think what we've seen is the gradual softening of Jacob's heart the slow turn away from himself towards the God who has proved himself to be faithful again and again and again. And at every point, as completely undeserving as Jacob has been, God has protected him and blessed him and been with him. 
And Jacob is noticed. He's noticed. And he started to actually believe that maybe it really isn't up to me. <laughs> maybe it's not up to me. Maybe it's up to God, the one who has made his promise. And now, with his brother coming on his way, on the attack, he's standing right at the precipice of full surrender. He's almost there. He's almost ready to trust God and be all in. He's right at the door. And so even as he's, he's making these plans and these preparations, he turns from himself to God in prayer. So look at verses 9 to 12. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. That's a great prayer. That's a really good prayer. Some, some authors and commentators have even noticed the similarities between Jacob's prayer here with the penitential Psalms of crying out to God in our distress and confessing our sin and asking for God's deliverance and remembering God's promise. So, so notice just a few things here. First, he's still calling God the God of Abraham and the God of my father Isaac. Not yet the God of Jacob. You see that there? He's not, he, he hasn't said the God of Jacob yet. But he's reaching out. He's turning from himself. He's asking. He's turning to God. He's saying, I need help. And then... He starts by remembering God's promise to him. He says, you're the God who said, return to your country that I might do you good. So he says, all right, God, this is who you are. And this is what you've promised to do for me. I'm remembering. So he remembers God's goodness and his good promises. And then he acknowledges his own unworthiness. He confesses. He says, I'm done posturing. He's tired of striving. He simply says, I'm not worthy of your steadfast love and faithfulness. But in spite of my unworthiness, you've blessed me, God. I left with only the staff in my hand. And now on my return, I have enough for two huge camps that I'm even able to divide into two. That's all you, God. <laughs> and then he cries out for help. Please deliver me. Just a simple cry. I'm afraid of Esau. I'm afraid of what he's going to do to me, to my possessions, to my family, to my servants. I'm tired and I'm scared. I don't think this plan that I have going here is going to be enough. Please deliver me, oh God. And then Jacob again recounts the promise of God. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea. So he begins his prayer and ends his prayer with this bookending of remembering God's good promises, not his own strength. So Jacob has finally come to a crisis of faith. He's right at the door. He's experiencing the crisis, the end of himself. The stage is set. He's still making his plans. <laughs> he's still dividing his camp. 
planning the gifts he's going to give to Esau, the many ways he might appease him, making sure that if he's attacked, he won't lose everything. But he knows that unless God intervenes, it's not going to be enough. So he cries out, I'm unworthy. Deliver me. Help me. I can't do it anymore. This isn't working. My striving isn't going to work. Psalm 46.10 says, cease your striving and know that I am God. Does this plight of Jacob maybe feel familiar (laughs) to any of us? Maybe you've been right at the door of full surrender to God, but you've been striving in your own strength. I'm going to make it work. How's it going? How's it going? Has it led to rest, like true rest? Or has the striving only beget more striving? How long can you keep it up? Hebrews 4, 9, and 10 says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Have you found that rest? Do you know where it's found? Jesus is the stairway that leads to the presence of God. And in Jesus, we find our true rest. He says, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Have you rested in Christ today? Jacob is right there on the edge, tired and scared. The drama is set. The tension is high. What's going to happen? Point three, Jacob possesses God. This is the moment. In verses 22 and 23, Jacob moves ahead and crosses the river, and he sends his servants and his family ahead of him. And so he's left totally alone. And then this mysterious man appears in verse 24 and wrestles with him until dawn. What in the world is going on here? So look with me at verses 25 to 30. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what's your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. So we find out that this isn't just a man, right? They're not, he's not just wrestling against a mortal, but this is, in fact, a theophany, all right? A theophany is a physical manifestation of God in his presence, right, revealed to man, likely as the angel of the Lord, okay? This is the angel of God. Hosea 12.4 tells us this. Jacob strove with the angel of God. And as he wrestles with the angel of God, Jacob refuses to give up. He won't let go. (laughs) So when the angel saw that he couldn't defeat Jacob, right, he dislocated his hip. And as dawn breaks, the angel of the Lord says, let me go, right? Jacob's just holding on. And Jacob says, I not until you bless me. (laughs) So what's happening is that Jacob is finally stopping the striving in his own strength to receive the blessing of God. And instead, 
he strives with God. Right? So see the difference between striving in your own strength, in your own schemes, in your own plans, and turning, and now Jacob is striving with God, and he refuses to let go until God blesses him. So we're meant to see this as the culmination of everything that's happened since he stole the birth, birthright from Esau. He's been striving and scheming and working to receive that blessing. And now he turns to God, he lays it all on the line and says, I won't let go unless you bless me. Here's how one commentator puts it. By wrestling with God, Jacob completed what he had already been engaged in, even from his mother's womb. His striving for the possession of the covenant promise and the covenant blessing To save him from the hand of his brother, it was necessary that God should first meet him and show him that his real opponent was God himself and that he must first of all overcome him before he could hope to overcome his brother. And Jacob overcame God, not by the power of flesh, but by the power of faith and prayer. So it's at this moment, this is the moment that God ceases to become the God of Abraham and Isaac only, but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob is finally all in. He finally turns to God. He finally lays hold of God. He says, you're my God. I'm here. It's you and me. Bless me. So God says, what's your name? As if he doesn't know. Jacob. And God says, your name is now Israel, For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. He's no longer Jacob the trickster. (laughs) Now he's Israel, the one who has turned to God, laid hold of God, striven with God, and would not let him go until he blessed him and possessed God. He is his God. He's Jacob's God. He's changed. He's all in, finally. His fundamental identity is different. He finally stops saying, I'll hold my own hand. And he turns and grabs onto God and won't let go. (laughs) So Jacob names the place Peniel, which means the face of God, because he says, surely I've seen the face of God and I've survived. And remember, remember the dislocating of the hip, right? So the angel just touches him and dislocates his hip. From now on, he'll walk with a limp. His moment of possessing God by faith has literally changed his walk. Alan Ross says, when God touched the strongest sinew of Jacob, the wrestler, it shriveled, and with it, Jacob's persistent self-confidence. He's changed. So think with me. God's people in God's place enjoying God's presence, right? That's what we're after. (laughs) We've seen that God, his presence has been with Jacob all along, right? The angels, his presence has been with him wherever he went. Now, Jacob has finally possessed God with faith, and Jacob has become God's. God's presence, God's people. Remember Psalm 4610 that I just read? Cease your striving and know that I am God. Listen to verses 10 and 11 together. Cease your striving, know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. 
the God of Jacob. He's Jacob's God. It's amazing. God's people and God's presence. All that's left now is God's place. God's place. Point number four, Jacob makes it home with God. This will be quick. We arrive now at chapter 33. Esau is approaching with 400 men. Here we go. What's going to happen? In verses 1 to 2, we see that Jacob divides his children between Rachel and Leah and his servants. He sends his servants first with their children, and then Leah with her children that they bore him, and then Leah with her children, and then last of all, Rachel and Joseph. So what do we see? Jacob is still not perfect. He's still not perfect. Here he goes again, dividing up his family, hedging his bets, trying to save what he can. And notice a little bit of foreshadowing here. This is, this is interesting. He sends his servants with those children first, then Leah and her kids next. Who is it that he puts furthest back from the danger? Rachel and Joseph. If you know what's coming up in the story of Jacob's sons, you'll see this as just the kind of favoritism that fed the resentment of Jacob by his brothers over time. Jacob the favored one, or Joseph the favored one, right? We see it even here. So has anything really changed with Jacob? Is is he really all in with God? Well, look at verse 3. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. So Jacob confronted his fear. He did. He went out and he met Esau by faith. Not a perfect faith. Remnants of the old Jacob are still in there. There's been years of entrenched patterns and scheming and a way of life that is dying hard. That seemed familiar to us. (laughs) Those things don't just disappear in a flash. Some commentators think that this is maybe why Moses still uses the name Jacob here instead of Israel. Because though he's a new man, the old Jacob isn't quite dead yet. But imperfect as he was, it was true faith. True faith. And trusting in his God, he went out to meet Esau. Praise God that his promises are not dependent on a perfect faith. On a total lack of weakness. On the obliteration of any sinful tendencies remaining in our hearts. We fight against those things. Right? We're all works in progress, but it does not depend on man's effort or desire, but on God himself who shows mercy. Romans 9.16. Jesus says that the faith the size of a mustard seed is able to move mountains. Jacob's faith is not perfect, but it's real. And what does he find when he meets Esau? Verse 4, Esau ran to him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. Esau's had a change of heart. Somehow, (laughs) what happened? He was just coming out in opposition to Jacob with an army. Somewhere along the way, his attitude switched, switched from hostility to love. God has answered Jacob's prayer, right? To deliver him from the hand of Esau. It's like a broken record in Genesis. God is proving again and again and again and again. He is the one that gives the victory and the blessing and the way forward, and it is not dependent on man. 
Think back just to last week with Jacob and Laban and the spotted sheep. Remember that? What a weird story. Who was it that turned the sheep spotted? Was it the different sticks? No, it was God. God did that. And now, who is it even now that turns Esau's heart towards Jacob in love? God, God answered his prayer. He's the faithful one. God is the one holding Jacob at every turn. He's leading him, he's keeping him, and now he's gonna get him home. He's gonna get him home. So in the following verses, verses five to 11, Esau catches up on life with Jacob. How's the family? How are the kids? Those types of things. Jacob gives credit to God for them, showing his faith. Esau asks about all these gifts that Jacob is trying to give him, all this, of these possessions that he has, giving them to Esau. Tries to give them back. Jacob says, no, 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 you keep them. It's all God's blessing on me, giving credit to God, showing his faith. Esau tries to give it back. Nope, they're yours. It's my blessing to you. It's almost as if Jacob is showing repentance for stealing the blessing of Esau from Esau those years back by sharing with him in the blessing that God has given him. He's saying, this is partly yours. Jacob is indeed a changed man. And now in verse 12, Esau says, all right, so we've been reunited. This is great. Brothers, you know, we're here. We love each other. Come with me. Let's journey together on our way presumably inviting Jacob to come back to his land, to seer with him. And in the following verses, 13 to 20, Jacob says, no, 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 you go on ahead. My family and my animals, they're too weak to travel at your pace. They'll die. I'll meet you in seer later. And then Esau says, well, at least let me leave some of my men with you so they can help you out. And Jacob says, no need for that. And so eventually Esau leaves and heads back to seer. And Jacob continues on but he doesn't go meet Esau in Seir and eventually reaches Canaan in the promised land. Now, what's Jacob doing there, right? Did he really intend to meet Esau later on? Was he telling the truth? Or was he deceiving Esau yet again, reverting back to his old self? So there's debate about that. Some say he really intended to, just couldn't. Some say he was deceiving again. I personally think it's just another example of showing his imperfect faith. He's intent on following God's command to continue home to the promised land, right? He's intent on making it home. He wants to follow God. And he just can't help but hedge his bets a little bit in explaining to his brother. But really, the main point here is not Jacob's motivation in his interaction with Esau. The main point is God's faithfulness in finally, finally getting Jacob home to the promised land. Look at verses 18 to 20. Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Padan Aram, and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. There he erected an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. <laughs> he made it. He made it home. God got him home. He kept his promise, God's place. There he is in the promised land. And we read in verse 20, 
Then he erected an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. What does that mean? God, the God of Israel. Not the God of Abraham, but the God of Israel. <laughs> God's people in God's place, enjoying God's presence. It's all three, all there, all happening. Right now, God has kept his promise. His presence has been with him every step of the way. And now he's the God of Israel, and he's gotten him home. And he's going to get you home too. If you have faith, then you are God's people, and he has given you his presence to experience his rest through the spirit of Jesus Christ in you. And one day, like our brother Craig a few weeks ago, he'll bring you home. And your faith will be sight, and you will be with him. And he's coming again to make everything that's wrong right. And in the new heavens and the new earth, we will be in his perfect place. All of that will happen because of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's our hope. See, as much as, as, much as we see ourselves in Jacob, right, the weak faith, the striving in our own strength, the final dependence on God to deliver us. The main point of Jacob's life isn't us. <laughs> Hear that. That's not the main point. We're not the main point of Jacob's life. We do see ourselves in him. Those are good lessons to learn. But the main point is that Jacob's, Jacob in his life points past himself to someone far, far greater. That's the main point. Jacob, now called Israel, is one of the many sons in Genesis, like Adam and Noah and Abraham and Isaac, that are part of this line of promise that we've been tracing, pointing past themselves to the true and the perfect Israel who succeeds where they failed and finally, finally decisively defeats Satan at the cross and goes to be with the Father in his place to rule and to reign forever. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. Jesus lives the perfect life that no son before him could ever live, takes the sins of the world, pays the ultimate sacrifice so that everyone is united to him. The true Israel, by faith, becomes the recipient of the covenant blessing of God. Christ is the fulfillment of God's people in God's place, enjoying God's presence. In union with him, that's our destiny too. That's your destiny too in Jesus Christ. If you're in Christ, united to him by faith, you are guaranteed the promises of the new covenant in Christ's blood. You're his people. He will get you home to enjoy his presence forever and ever. He's faithful. He will surely do it. All of those promises find their yes in Jesus Christ in every spiritual blessing it says in Ephesians chapter 1 is ours in Christ. So, wandering, struggling, striving, imperfect saint, great is his faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness. He is a good, good father. We are his beloved children of God in Christ. Stop holding your own hand. <laughs> Stop it. Grab onto Jesus and rest in him. Enjoy his presence by his spirit. Look forward to the day when your faith will become sight 
and we'll finally be home. It's coming. Although we are not yet, we are yet outside the land of promise, we are not outside the hand of promise. Let's pray. Lord, you have proved yourself so good to Jacob, holding him and keeping him with your presence at every step of the way, and you got him home. You became his God, you overcame his resistance, he possessed you, and you got him home. Lord, in Jesus Christ, help us to believe that that is our ultimate destiny. We will see you face to face and enjoy you forever. Until then, help us to feel your abiding presence with us and help us to trust in your faithfulness for you cannot deny yourself. You can't. It's not in your character. You've made a promise. You will keep us. Great is your faithfulness. In Jesus' name. Amen.